routine that we're normal with. And I'm glad to be with you today uh, just to take an opportunity to spend one more Sunday in God's Word. And uh, what a great opportunity that is indeed. And I hope today we'll find something in the scriptures. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We're going to start. I uh, suspect if you tried to follow me, you may have a hard time keeping up because I'm going to try to go through some, some verses and some passages somewhat quickly with our intent today. We've got our uh, old technology back up here. I don't know what it, why it feels different, but it feels good to have it back in our, in our hand after all the switching around some things we did. I'll speak to you from a passage from Romans chapter 1, just part of verse 13. How many people today are wearing something you received as a gift yesterday? All right, yeah, we, the, the few, the proud. I'll tell you what, they are, they are uh, proud of that new stuff. Well, we all had a great Christmas day. And it's just a reminder of the blessing it is to live in the time in which we live and the opportunities that we have before us and the blessings that we so, so uh, easily share with one another as families and then as individuals and as a church body. And uh, today, not only is Christmas behind us, but almost another year is behind us, proving once again that even a virus can't slow down time. It has gone very quickly for sure. Today in Romans chapter 1, I want to use that as a jumping off point for us to, to look at this passage, really just a part of a passage, and to use it as a reminder of something the scripture tells to us not just once or twice or even a few times, but a half a dozen times the New Testament makes this statement that I think is so appropriate for us in the day and time in which we live. And so look with me, we'll have this passage up. I'll read the others, but listen carefully for the common theme. Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come to you. Paul says to the Roman Christians, I want you to know I really intended to come to you. Other events detoured him. Life gets in the way, doesn't it? We make our best plans and life find some way to interrupt those plans. Listen with me to other similar wording in other passages. A little later in Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul will say in verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, he would say. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Those are passages from the Apostle Paul's pen. Peter would write it this way, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Do you get the common word through all these passages? The common phrase that is used by both apostles in one way or another, in one order or another, is, I would not have you be ignorant. Ignorant, as is translated to our English Bible, that word has a Latin root, and it shares that root with the word ignore. We all know what it is to ignore something, right? To not pay attention to it, to turn your head the other way, 
to ignore, to be ignorant. It means to be unaware, to be inexperienced, to be unfamiliar. We all have to readily admit there's lots of things we are ignorant of. I have absolutely no idea how to fly a plane. But some people do. So I take advantage of their knowledge and their skill and I ride the plane. I have absolutely no, no idea how to use heavy equipment. I can spell backhoe, but that's about all I can do with one. There's lots of things we are readily admitting we are ignorant of. I have no idea how to do brain surgery. And that's really good for a lot of people. <laughs> we are ignorant of these things and multitudes of others. We call such folks who can do those things and those tasks that are beyond our capacity experts. And we readily call them, hey, something is broke. I need it fixed. I need to do something. I have no idea how to do it. We, we readily admit our ignorance about lots of things, don't we? The word means to be unfamiliar with, to be unacquainted, to be unknown. It, it identifies a lack of knowledge or necessary information or necessary skill. I, I just don't know how to do it. To be ignorant is to say, I don't know. Plain and simple. But beyond that, it may even imply, I don't care. I really do not wake up every morning, any morning, and worry about the fact that I have no idea how to fly an airplane. I just don't care. It doesn't impact my world. It's not going to change my schedule. It doesn't direct anything about my life any differently. I just don't care. And in some situations, that very thought is even implied. Not only do I not know, and not only do I not care, it may also imply I don't want to know. There is no purpose in my investing the hundreds of hours and thousands of hours it would take to learn to fly a plane when I'll never do it. So not only do I not know, and not only do I not care, I don't even want to know. It just doesn't change my world. That's ignorance. And the capacity of what ignorance can become. Ignorance can become the I don't know. That leads to the I don't care. That ultimately transitions into I don't know and I don't care. And I don't want to know. Do you get the association with the Apostle Paul here and Peter? As they write to the churches, to the Christians, and says, do not be ignorant. In the New Testament, the word means to be unacquainted with, to be unknown, to be unrecognized. It can even mean to be rejected, to have no discernment of something and not to understand it. Very similar meanings. To live with ignorance is to live with a deficiency, as far as the Apostle Paul and Peter were concerned. A deficiency that was essential to the life of a Christian. We should not be ignorant. We should not be ignorant of the things that are of God's Word. That's ultimately what they're calling us to. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of the importance truth of God's Word. 
Don't reject it. Don't turn your back on it. Don't ignore it. Ignorance is always the enemy, as one person said, especially to the person who owns it. And to be ignorant of God's word is a self-indulged deficiency. There's no reason to be ignorant of God's word, especially in the day and time in which we live. We can appreciate Christians who lived, oh, I don't know, 1,500 years ago. Many of them ignorant of the ability to read. They certainly did not have copies of the scripture available to them with very much simplicity. It was a difficult thing to even see a copy of the scripture. So maybe in some way we can appreciate those Christians of 1,500 years ago because they could not get their hands on God's word. They could not put their eyes to the, to the scroll or to the page and read what God had said. They were dependent entirely upon someone to preach the word to them and to hear the word, to hear it read. We can appreciate Christians of even a thousand years ago, who though the Bible was starting to be printed, copied with more fluency, it still just wasn't that available. History tells us of men who stood up in the 13, 14, 1500s who began to say, why can't we put a Bible in everyone's hand? Why can't we see the scripture more engaged by every Christian? Their preaching often got them in trouble with that thought in mind. At Oxford University, one professor who could read Greek started what he thought would be a novel idea for his students. And so he would gather his students and give them an appointed time to be out in the, out in the courtyard. I'll read the scripture in Greek and then read it in English so you can understand it. His students and those in the surrounding area ultimately numbered into thousands who would come just to hear him do nothing but read the scripture. And yet today we live in a time when the Bible is as close as a bookshelf in our home or our office, certainly on our technology of a tablet or a phone. What a great blessing that is. What a great opportunity it is to be reminded of the ability for us to engage the Scripture. Today I want to present that as a core value. I want to speak for just a moment about core values. The core values are defined as those things that are, that are the center of our existence. They mean the most to us. We'll give up lots of the periphery, lots of those external things, but core values is where we anchor ourselves. And I submit, we live to you, uh, I submit to you we live in a day in which the, the culture and the philosophies of the time in which we live want to strip us of core values. They want to say to us, just go with the crowd. Follow what your heart teaches. 
Don't anchor yourself to anything because everything changes. And what you anchor yourself to may not have any value to you in the future. So I'm going to speak just briefly today on three core values. We could certainly run a long road with core values. But I want to present these three I think is essential. Indeed, the first one, the Word of God. Listen to some passages to be reminded of what the Scripture says of the value of the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. It reaches to our very depth, the Word of God. And it goes to the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. The Scripture examines us in a way far deeper than any medical doctor could ever do. It reaches into our very depths and asks us to examine ourselves and our intent and our purpose. The Scripture, of course, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. Perfectly equipped is the idea there. Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Familiar passage to all of us, Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what God's word does? It's a lamp to my feet. It shows me where I'm at. In the moment, the situation I find myself in, it's a lamp for right now. But it's a light to my path to show me which direction to go in. What steps to take? How fast to go? Do we use that lamp and light? James reminds us, chapter 1, verse 22, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. As we assemble ourselves on Sundays, Wednesdays, as we gather around God's word in certain times of our week, we do so not with the purpose of just hearing. We do so with the purpose of hearing that we may do, that we may exercise our faith. That's why James can say, be doers of the word and not just hearers. Jesus himself would say in Luke 11, verse 28, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. A core value, God's word. Several passages in the book of Matthew recorded of our Lord's words. From chapter 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man whose house, whose life is stable and built upon a rock. And we can, as we sung this morning, lean on those everlasting arms with such a faith. Jesus would say in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away but my word shall not pass away. The value of God's word. As we finish a year and look just off the horizon to see the new year coming, how do we value God's word? We all fell short this year. Let's go ahead and admit it. We all fell short this year. We didn't engage the word enough. We got busy. We let life get in the way. We ignored God's word. 
We can admit it honestly because we did. What will this new year hold for us? It'll hold for us as the Lord tarries 365 days of 24 hours where we can find an opportunity to engage with God's Word. And we as Baptists, we as Baptists have a history of being in the shadow of God's Word, standing firm upon its truth. If you go to read our church constitution, the very first item in our doctrinal statement, and I have found it to be true in every Baptist church I've encountered with this question, the very first item in our church constitution about doctrine is about God's Word. Here's what it says very briefly. And similar words are stated in many other Baptist constitutions. We believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and that it is the perfect treasure of heavenly instruction, that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. That is where this church has stood for all these years, all these decades, upon the truth of God's Word. Indeed, contained within the 66 books of the Bible which we carry and hold and read is that perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. It then becomes the lens upon which we begin to understand who God is, who we are, our inabilities, our, our, our our need for a Savior, our sin. It's where we begin to understand life and the purpose of life. It's where we understand the call of salvation. We understand through the Bible our creation, the institutions of marriage and of family. Here's a shocker to the world, the distinctiveness of boys and girls. We understand that from the Bible. In short, the Bible is God's inspired truth about everything that applies to this life and beyond this life because it also speaks of a heaven. That revelation song that we sang earlier where it puts us in the image of standing in awestruck wonder of what eternity will be like. It teaches us how to live in this world. Remember those things? That the world has kicked out the door, the Ten Commandments, they still have a place, I think, in our thinking. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the Golden Rule. The Golden Rule has become kind of rusty these days, hasn't it? Numerous passages that instruct us about how to live, how to live with one another. We can be a hard-headed and stiff-necked people, can't we? And God gives us some instruction about how to live with one another. Be ye kind to one another, Paul would write in Ephesians. Forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Those types of imperatives must permeate our thinking. We have no excuse to be ignorant of them. Let us be not ignorant to the value of God's Word. And let's look to this new year with a renewed vision of the importance and the priority of God's Word in our lives. Find a way to engage the Scripture every day. We no longer have the excuse, well, I've, I've never seen a Bible. We don't have a reason to say, well, you know, I, I, I put it here somewhere. No, it's, it's as close as our technology. 
Engage the Bible. Read it. Listen to it. I love an app that I have which just reads the Bible. It does it in a dramatic fashion. I love that. It draws me into the Word. The value of God's Word has to be a core value. Let me propose the value of God's church. We first run across this word in Matthew 16, 18, familiar passage, where Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell shall not stop. Let us not be deceived. The demons of hell are opposing the church at every turn. But Jesus says the church has my blessing upon it, my strength, my power, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Used 111 times in the New Testament, the word church comes from a Greek word that means those who are called out into an assembly. Those who are called out from the greater population to a unique assembly of believers. That's the church. It is a congregation called together by herald. The message has been broadcast. The gospel is proclaimed all humanity needs a Savior. And Jesus Christ, born in a manger, is that Savior who died upon the cross for our sins to bring us into a right relationship with God and to provide for us eternal life. The herald has gone out. The question then, has we, have we responded? To say, yes, I've responded to that. I've accepted Jesus Christ. Is therefore to put yourself in this body of an assembly called a church or a congregation. Many of us here remember the simple child rhyme, right? Can you do it with me? Here's the church, and here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's all the people. It rhymes real nice, but it's a little off theologically, I think. It should be, here's the church. I'm sorry, here's the building. Here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's the church. Because we are the church. We are the body of believers that have been assembled for the purpose of rallying around the cross. And all it stands for in Jesus Christ, we are the church. The assembly of believers who have heard the herald of the gospel. And how appropriate that we are members of a church called Gospel Baptist. Those words mean something. That heritage is long and deep. God's provision of salvation to all Humanity is proclaimed through the gospel, and we are part of it. The scripture teaches plainly that the church is made of those who have recognized what the scripture teaches, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that there's none righteous, no, not one, and that we all come into, we all have to come to this place of recognizing our need of salvation, and that we repent of the sin. That's the herald, the call of the gospel. We repent of our sins and turn to Christ as our only means of salvation. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And here we are in this church. Having received the free will of uh, the free gift of God, he gives to us eternal life by accepting that greatest of all gifts, salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, the scripture tells us. 
Here we are, the church. Well, now what do we do? Well, we're doing a little of it this morning. We gather for worship. We gather for worship in music. We gather for worship even as we open the scriptures and hear it proclaimed. We gather for worship as we surrender ourselves to the Lord. We're doing part of it. But the reality is, the gathering of the assembled body of believers is only a part of what the church is called to do. Our purpose is not to be called to be comfortable, to be content. Our calling is a calling that says, be doers of the word. The church has a purpose to carry on the Great Commission. For as Jesus said, go ye to all nations, teach them whatever, so thing, uh, whatever I've taught you, and baptize them. We're part of that great calling that the church has. We're part of the great opportunity to display our love for Christ, our new life, as we present to others the service that Christ even himself presented to those in his day and time. The value of the church. The church operates as a living organism seeking to engage believers with the truth of the word. So we preach the Bible. We teach the Bible. Our primary subject of study is always going to be the Bible and the things of the Bible. Always. The value of the church. Don't ignore the value of the church. Don't ignore the opportunity to find a place where you can serve and be a part of the great work of the church. Don't ignore the reality that there's a place where you can learn the Bible more, where you can find out how to be engaged and put your hands and feet to the activity of the gospel. The value of the church. It's an important value, one we can't walk away from or ignore or be ignorant of. Many people have have sadly come to believe that the church is just a place to go once a week and just have a little religious activity. What a shallow understanding of the gospel and the truth of the Bible that person has. For the church is to be an active body of believers. Doing that which God has called us to and equipped us for. The value of the church. How will we value the church this coming year? How will we readjust our sights so that we're attentive to what the church is doing and how we can be engaged and support it? How we can be a part of the great work that goes on through this church and reaching our community and our world through our missions? The value of the church. One more. The value of God's sovereignty. Sovereignty is a word that is debated often, and I'm not here to engage the debate. I'm just here to recognize it. It's a word that's debated often. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? I think it's a little bit like asking a, fifth, uh, a, a, a five-year-old explain how that airline works for them or that airplane works. Just, they watch it and see it, but they're not real sure how it all works. I think we're somewhat that way when it comes to the sovereignty of God. 
we can use big words and big explanations and different perspectives and views, but we're still not real sure what's behind the workings of all of that. So as best we can, humanity has always tried to come up with a way to explain the sovereignty of God. If we step back a few generations, indeed a couple of hundred years or more, you would find a generation of Christians who would speak much of the sovereignty of God by using the word providence. Still a good word, but not a word that we find quick to our vocabulary as 21st century Christians. So let's for a moment step back in time and hear the words of a generation of Baptists in their explanation of providence. I found this in the Baptist Confession of 1689. To a generation that spoke of providence, here's what they said in defining providence. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and all things, from the greatest to the least, by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. They go on to say, he governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. His providence leads to the praise of his glory, a recognition of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. And as for one paragraph, I thought that was well stated. It impressed me anyway. I thought, that's, that's, that's it. We acknowledge that God is over all things. Hear what the scripture says of such things. Psalms 103, verse 19, the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Romans 8, 28, familiar passage, we know that all things work together for those that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Colossians chapter 1 tells us, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether there are, there are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and all things, and by him all things consist. The word consist there means to hold together. The very fabric of the universe, down to the, down to the subatomic particles, is held together by God's providence and sovereignty. What will the new year hold? We are so short-sighted, nearsighted. We can barely see beyond the next 15 minutes and we try to talk about a year. We are always going to be lacking to that because we know not what tomorrow holds, as a familiar phrase goes. But we rejoice in the reality of knowing who holds tomorrow. Romans chapter 11, Paul would say, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways were uh, past finding out. We stand incapable of anticipating what the new year will be or what events it will bring to us. We close this year with absolute certainty of what last year held and the many surprises it held. Surprises that caused us sometimes to go, wow, and surprises sometimes that caused us to go, whoa. 
unexpected accidents, we call them, events, a turn of things that we did not expect, even death, unexpected. So we therefore must have a perspective, even in our weak, feeble minds, of the providence of God to do all things for his good. Like many of you here, I have seen my children in years past have to be turned over to the hands of the surgeon multiple times. Boy, there's just something that sinks in your heart when you watch your own child roll into that cart and go behind those doors knowing that you have no capacity to do anything for them as much as you want except to pray to the God all-loving and all-caring, all-beneficent, to lift them up. Who knows what this year will hold? What events will turn and twist? We watch from a distance, but we watch with sympathetic hearts to see communities in Kentucky and other areas impacted by those tornadoes, and we can't even begin to envision the turmoil of life that that creates. That's why we must be Christians who have a perspective on God's sovereignty and providence. Realizing that Romans 8 28 is more than just about my personal little issues in life. But it's about God's greater plan. That he will do something great. And here's what I've come to expect. That I will not know all the answers. And you know getting that, to that point is a place of satisfaction. I preached the funeral this year of a, of a lady, and the common question the family was asking was, why? To be at the place of why is not uncommon. I've been there myself. To be at the place of why is not immoral. It's okay to ask the why question. But we put ourselves in tough situations when we decide to stay there. The place of why is just a stopover on the place to a greater understanding and purpose of what God is doing. When it's all settled, when the end of the book has been fulfilled, indeed, Revelation gives us this reminder. Jesus says, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give to him that is a thirst of all the fountain of the water of life freely. Amen. Eternity awaits. 2022 is waiting at the door. But let us not be deceived that eternity waits beyond that. How soon we get there, how ready we arrive, will be determined with God's providence. What trails will we follow? What path will we take? What decisions we make? We seek to make those paths, those decisions, those choices within God's will. Thus, sovereignty for us becomes a recognition, a confidence that God will always do what is right and what is righteous. That God will always do what is for our good and for his glory. And most often we will not see nor will we know all the answers. 
So let's not be choked by the whys that life will present to us. Let us rather be confident by the who is overseeing those events. It is our duty to exercise our faith and trust in such an avenue. I can only echo what the prophets have said. Let us not be ignorant, brethren. Let's not be ignorant of the value of God's word, for it is indeed the word of life to each and every generation. Let us not be ignorant of God's church. We have a place to serve in it as we have come to new life in Christ. Let's not be ignorant of God's sovereignty, for his providence overshadows us. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for his providential hand will guide me and lead me. These core values, these core values should cause us to want to respond, to respond in surrender to the will of God, to respond in service in the name of God, and to live a life of sacrifice for the cause of God in the gospel. Let us therefore speak our testimony in a way that will honor him and tell a marvelous story of what God is doing, realizing that his path is a path of goodness and a path of justice. His path is a path of mercy and grace. And let us pursue 2022 with that thought, that we pursue the values that are core, central to us, because they are built upon the eternal word of God. And our confidence has no better place to rest than on those firm foundations, those, the rock of our Savior, so that we can confidently lean on those everlasting arms. Let's bow our head there and take just a moment. Take just a moment to individually lift our lives before the Lord. A moment to recognize our, our sinfulness. A moment to recognize our resistance. Even a moment to recognize our ignorance. So that we can step before the Lord and honestly proclaim to Him individually, we have failed. We've gotten things out of kilter a bit. We sing of an anchor that secures a soul, but we haven't always done that. The scripture calls us to be not ignorant. What is it before the Lord you and I need to confess today? I'd like to give each of us a moment to do that before the Lord, express in our own hearts before the Lord our need and our confidence in his strength.
I trust the tune is a familiar one to you. Onward Christian Soldiers. Father, today we come to acknowledge that you indeed are the sovereign of the universe, the sovereign of our lives. And it's with your providence that you guide us and direct us. Help us to be sensitive and strong to follow your will, to follow the teachings of your word, to engage ourselves with the call of being a Christian soldier, standing firm upon the principles, having core values that will not diminish nor pass away. Forgive us where we have fallen so short. Allow each one of us to be individually sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And draw us to yourselves as individuals, as families, as a congregation of born-again believers, realizing that that necessity of serving you is part of what you've called us to do, to share with others the good news of the gospel and to be a living testimony of what Christ has done in our hearts and our lives. I pray that you'll bless our time today that has been spent in your word. May it find a resting place in our hearts and in our heads. May it, Lord, direct us and guide us as we move forward because your word gives us the confidence to know that we indeed march forward under the banner, under the flag of Christ our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. I appreciate this song JT's picked out as we close.